Father, we thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ was one who came with a mission and with a purpose, and that that mission and purpose was something that he fulfilled, not partially, but he fulfilled all that you ordained for him to do. We thank you that he did not turn away from it. He did acknowledge it was going to be very painful, very difficult, something that he was not relishing, but Lord, he was obedient, even to the end. So we thank you that we come to worship an obedient, holy, and humble Savior. And Lord, as we think about these themes for ourselves, as we seek you, we pray that you would make us more and more like Jesus Christ. We pray that you would work in our hearts through your word, even this day. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. It's going to sound a little strange, but I must say to you that I'm, I'm pleased to say that my left toe is painful this morning. I also would like you to know that I'm pleased to say that when I shave, and I do every so often, unfortunately, that every time I cut myself in shaving and I wash my face off uh, soon thereafter, it stings like crazy. Now, some of you may be wondering if I've, maybe I have no paddles in the water, as they say, or you think, well, this guy's running a little short on marbles. But let me just explain what I'm meaning here. Because I've learned a little bit about the disease of leprosy, I want you to know that I am so thankful for a nervous system that accurately transmits pain when there's something wrong or something's hurting my body. That signal is working correctly. We now know that the reason people who have leprosy, we know it today as Hansen's disease, that one of the reasons that they lose their fingers they lose their toes, they lose their eyesight, is because they feel no pain. So, they forget to blink when their eyes are all dried out. They don't even think to blink. Or when they have a, maybe they rub their eyes, and they're rubbing their eyes, they don't realize how much pressure they're putting on that eyeball. Or, for example, they may have a, uh, a blister on their foot that's infected. They would never even know. They don't feel the pain. So although I don't enjoy the pain itself, hear me on that, so don't go up and smack me too hard, okay? I don't enjoy the pain itself, but I am grateful to God that the warning signal system that he has designed for my body, the benefits of that still are helping me every day. Every time I feel physical pain, I know that there's something not right in my body. Now this morning I want us to think about another signal system that God has designed for us. It's for our benefit. And the signal system is what we call the conscience. The conscience. I've given in your notes a brief summary of what the conscience is. The conscience is the soul's automatic warning system. The soul's automatic warning system. And one of the distinctions between humans 
and animals is our ability as humans to contemplate our own actions, to think and muse and think about our own moral self-evaluation. That is, we have a conscience. And if you've ever read Romans chapter 2, included in that section of Scripture, we are taught that God has hardwired all humans with this amazing at least some portion of God's Word that's already written into our conscience, that we have some semblance of right and wrong that we're born with. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. In other words, the conscience, in a sense, comes standard equipment in every human. Now, our conscience will oftentimes entreat us to do what we believe is right, and it restrains us from doing what we believe is wrong. And when we violate our conscience, we can trigger feelings of shame, we can trigger feelings of regret, and even feelings of disgrace. Our conscience is not fallible, however. You need to understand that. The conscience is not infallible. It's intended to hold us accountable to the highest standards of right and wrong that we know. So some people don't have much teaching about what's right and wrong, and so their conscience is going to work differently than somebody else. I remember when our children were very young, I can still remember their, uh, about the time they all started walking, and they're much more mobile, and they're getting into everything, and I can remember telling our kids, my wife would tell our kids, one, we'd say it one day, we'd say it days and days and days in a row, don't touch the electronic equipment. Now, at the time, it's been a long time ago, it was VCR. VCR had big buttons right there, right, at the, right within reach. And so we'd say, don't touch the buttons. And I can remember watching our precious little munchkins, those cute little kiddos, and they would look and try to see if I was watching. And they're looking up at me like, you know, they're getting ready to go over there and touch that button, but they're looking at me. And I thought to myself, if they noticed I wasn't there, they would make, what, a beeline right for those buttons. It's amazing. From the earliest active days, their conscience, you could see it was operating. They're looking. They're looking around to see if they get caught. And then they ignore the prompting of that conscience and they do what was forbidden. Guess what? I've done the same more times than I can count. Maybe you have too. Now this morning, I want us to direct our attention to three insights about the conscience according to what the Bible says about it. And the Bible has a number of things to say about our conscience. Uh, this morning, I want us to think about the fact that your conscience and my conscience will work most effectively when it's informed and when it's governed by biblical truth. Now, the problem is, of course, that some people are not informing their conscience very well with biblical truth. Matter of fact, it's much worse than that in general in the, in the, among people who have no interest in scriptural or biblical things at all. 
And it saddens me that so many people today are trying their best to ignore, or worse, to silence their conscience. And this is point number one, to silence their conscience. Because there's a great danger in having a silenced culture, a silenced conscience. In his book, The Vanishing Conscience, which I would strongly recommend you read by John MacArthur, he includes in that book the true account of an airliner from Spain called Avianca, Avianca Airlines, a plane which was traveling in 1984 that crashed, killing everyone on board. Now, as you know, every time a plane crashes, they go in and the investigators go in and they dig through the rubble and they find the black box. They found the black box after the crash and they went back and played the recording of what was going on within the plane itself, all of the instrumental uh, data. They're also playing the conversation in the cockpit and they replay the thing and they hear a synthesized, shrill, computerized voice repeatedly saying in the plane's automatic warning system, it's loudly proclaiming in English, pull up, pull up, pull up, which is a message to the pilot to don't put the nose down, lift it up. In other words, to go up in an upward direction. For some inexplicable reason, the black box recording then was, uh, had recorded the pilot of the plane saying, shut up, gringo, and he shut the warning system off. And then, moments later, the plane slammed into a mountainside, killing everyone on board. See, God has designed our conscience to serve as a helpful, beneficial warning system. To alert us when something is wrong in our soul, when something's wrong in our moral and spiritual life. It's designed to help us, to benefit us. And like the complex neurological system that God designed to alert our bodies about physical dangers that we face, physical threats, and we often hear it because the alarm of pain is sounding. In the same way, God has installed in each one of us a similar warning mechanism for our souls to make us aware of spiritual dangers. And some of the messages that we hear from our conscience are things like, don't do that. Or, you're headed for danger if you keep doing this, you need to change the course of your life here. There are some messages that our conscience announces, obviously, in our thought life, that really are for our good. But our culture, many people in our culture, many influential people within our culture, are keep encouraging us to shut off all alerts of our, of our conscience. They don't want to hear anything having to do with a conscience that says, stop this, stop that, or you're doing wrong, you're doing wrong. They insist that guilt, all guilt, is harmful. All guilt is hurtful. 
And some people buy into the belief that they are morally upright and this conscience thing is just something they need to get rid of because they believe they're not bent towards sin. What they do is okay because if it feels good, it must be right. And so they try their best to shift all of the blame that they possibly may be feeling and they would somehow put the, the, the weight of that blame for their wrong choices onto their parents, onto the people around them. Or they might blame it on things that they've eaten and consumed, literally. There's a guy that uh, uh, had a lawsuit, claimed that he committed a crime because he ate too many Twinkies. I'm not kidding. I haven't had a Twinkie in years, but I would never blame it on anything I did wrong, except my weight, maybe. They try their best to ridicule the high moral standards found in the scriptures. They're trying to throw off and to sort of unplug the conscience from working the way God's designed it to work. And if you dismiss God, if you dismiss all of his holy absolute standards, you're left with, guess what, your own standards. And if that's the case, you've basically boiled down to saying, whatever enables me to get what I want, that is right. To me. Now, I've given you a quote in your notes, and I, I would commend you to read this and reread it several times. It's very insightful from Charles Colson, the late Charles Colson, the legal, whose legal career he crash landed. You remember, he's one of the greatest, you know, reaches the pinnacle of, of uh, uh, positions of honor and privilege for a lawyer to be the legal counsel for a president of the United States, what happened to be Richard Nixon, but he ended up, uh, Colson himself ended up going to prison for the part that he played in the Watergate scandal. But look at the quote he has there. He says, the myth that mankind is basically good deludes people into thinking that they are always victims, never villains. Always deprived, never depraved. This kind of thinking dismisses responsibility as the teaching of a darker age. It can excuse any crime because it can always blame something else, a sickness of our society or a sickness of the mind. One writer called the modern age the golden age of exoneration, letting people off the hook. When guilt is dismissed as the illusion of narrow minds, then no one is accountable. No one is accountable, even to his conscience. Oh, there's so much truth in that statement, my friends. There's so many voices among our culture shapers who are trying their best to encourage us to dismiss all feelings of guilt, all feelings of remorse, all feelings of any kind of regret. And we need to be careful because if we continue to respond to our culture, or to our conscience, excuse me, with this idea of shut up, gringo, just turn it off, ignore it, then we may reach what the Bible describes as a weak or powerless conscience. And that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 10 and 12, where he's talking about those who have a weak conscience. It doesn't seem to work very well. 
And it doesn't seem to be something that is highly informed and highly effective. It also speaks of another text of Scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, that if we continue to tolerate, and ignore, tolerate the, the evil in our society and we ignore the way that God's wired us and the way we, which he warns us of what's right and wrong based upon the Scriptures, eventually you can reach the point where you have a wounded or you have a seared conscience. Use the illustration of, you know, uh, operations when the doctor sometimes wants to stop bleeding, he will sear shut the veins or little arteries there. And so the idea is to what? Is to stop it. Stop it from working. And so eventually people, if you continue to shut off and ignore the warning of the conscience, it gets to the point where it doesn't function hardly at all. And the more I've thought about that, the more you read the newspaper, the more you hear the news, the more you hear the level of what? The increasing level of violence that people are marching in the streets about in today's world has got to be on, it must be beyond the issue of what kind of things are being used to, to actually inf, in, impact people's lives by destroying their lives. It's not just what they're using, it's the fact that people don't think badly about it anymore. It's so widespread. I'm concerned that the ever-increasing levels of violence, the ever-increasing levels of corporate corruption, the, the ever-increasing levels of, of widespread sexual brokenness and immorality across all cross-sections of our society today, is that because, and could that not be a go-back to having some connection to the fact that these are symptoms of the serious condition of people who have said what? Shut up, gringo. I'm not listening to my conscience anymore. I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. I'm going to push God as far out of the equation as I can. I'm just going to live my own life. And don't tell me what's right and wrong. I dare say one of the positive benefits of Christianity is that over time, over time, a prayerful and humble reading of the Scriptures can fine-tune our conscience to work the way God has designed it to work. And we were created by God and for God, and we function best when we find our freedom to live within the constraints of God's laws. Now, if you weren't here last week, we talked about obedience as a follower of Jesus Christ, is something done out of love. Not because of out of duty only. It's a big difference. So there's a danger there. I don't know where you are in, the, in that particular area of concern, but it is a widespread problem. And parents, one of the things you're doing as a parent is you are seeking to develop and instill within your children the fear of God. And I'm thankful my parents did that over time in my heart and life. Secondly, there's another concern I want to share here, a biblical insight regarding conscience. And this one is the opposite extreme of this. The first thing we talked about is sort of shutting it off, not having any kind of conscience that's working. The other is to have a conscience that is a guilty conscience that people have that they never find relief for it. It's just constantly blaring. The alarm goes off endlessly. Now, surely you know 
perhaps yourself or you know other people who struggle with the fact that they have a conscience that's weighed down with a heavy, heavy sense of shame. Their souls, their minds are plagued with constant thoughts of things from their past, with feelings of condemnation, that they leave with their spirits totally overwhelmed when they think of any kind of thoughts of God. They just don't even want to face God. They don't want to have to deal with a God who knows all about them, who is holy. And their consciences operate as they were designed to operate, but the problem is that the alarm is constant and goes on and on and on. Have you ever heard a car alarm that gets stuck and it's on and there's nobody around? I remember one day we had, uh, over here, we had somebody, uh, later I learned that uh, one of our neighbors had a, a gathering of people at the house where they live, and then they took off and went to the beach from there. And the guy's truck, I don't know what happened. I don't know who touched it. I don't know what, but anyway, the alarm went off the whole afternoon. I mean, it was just, you know, and you've heard it. People have their house alarms on or whatever. Um, after a while, you're like, oh, I think I'm going to go crazy. But if you have a, a, if your conscience is continually going off as it, when it comes to what God is trying to, impress upon you about what you know you've done to offend God, to break his laws. There is no peace, my friend. There is no calmness of soul. It does weigh you down with a true sense of guilt. And the standards of God's moral law, when they're broken, and, this, and, and that's what you're thinking about, what your mind is focused on, my friend, it is an alarm that will drive you absolutely to the end of your rope. It's a living nightmare. I came across this quote by H.L. Mencken. He's not a Christian, but he said this, Conscience is the mother-in-law whose visit never ends. I'm not going to say any more about that. That's just unbelievable. Imagine if you took one wing of the Smith Haven Mall I've been walking the malls here recently with all this crazy weather. If you took one wing, let's just say, of the mall and dedicated it not to any more commercial enterprises, but it's turned into a museum. This is, uh, you know, fast forward about 50, 70 years from now when Amazon has taken over everything and no one has any stores to go to. So the mall has turned into a museum. And the museum is all about you. There's a whole wing of the mall about you. And, and all of those storefronts, they are covered now with information about you. Everything about your life. Everything that you've ever said has been recorded and put in big letters, quotes. All of your thoughts have been translated from thought form and put into quotes. Big, beautiful, creative ways of displaying everything about you. All that you did, pictures, all kinds of things you've thought in your head are flashed up on the screen. If that was ever done about me, all the good and the bad, all of your public actions, as well as the things that only you know about in the secrets of your heart and mind, going way back to your earliest childhood up to the present. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd do my best to bolt those doors shut. I wouldn't want anybody seeing all that mess. 
All of us have entertained thoughts, of course. All of us have said and done things that we would never want anyone else to know or discover. But my friend, God knows all of those things. They're known to him. So what can be done to help a person who, if you're really honest, and you've gone and you th- thought of going down that one of the corridors of the mall, a museum about you, what would happen? How do you deal with a person who just feels so overwhelmed with a sense of shame and I don't want anybody to know about, about me, but God does. My friend, we all need relief from the testimony of our conscience regarding our moral failures. And the Bible offers wonderful hope. Hope for those who carry this heavy burden of a guilty conscience. And here I would like to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14, 15. Hebrews chapter 9. Much could be said about the contrast of what he's doing here. He's trying to talk about how Christ is the ultimate provision given by God to deal with our offenses before a holy God. There were many things that were shadows and symbols of that prior to Christ, but the Christ is the ultimate, best, finished, and complete um, provision of God, and he says in verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, blood there represents the fact that the life of Christ being poured out, he died. How much more will the death of Christ, who offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He goes on to say there in verse 22, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You see, the God who made you and the God who made me knows all about you and knows all about me. And he has taken steps because of his love, because of his mercy, because of his grace, he has taken steps to rescue people like us from an eternity of the alarm constantly going off about how how many wicked and evil things we have done, how many times we have gone against his laws. And that kind of alarm for all eternity going off, accusing our conscience, would leave us cut off from God forever. Well, he's done something to help us. In love, God sent his eternal son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute, to bear our shame, to bear our guilt. And Jesus is the one who lived a perfect, sinless life. You see, the alarm of his conscience never went off. He never transgressed the laws of God. And yet, nonetheless, he voluntarily died on that cross, providing a just and fair means for God to forgive our guilt and to cleanse us from our conscience. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, which we're going to talk much more about this next Sunday, God declared to the world that Jesus had indeed supplied a sufficient sacrifice for those for whom he died. And Jesus is in the process of rebuilding and restoring broken and corrupt people like you and me from the inside out. Indeed, 
One way that God does this is by cleansing the conscience of every person who repents and turns from their sin and transfers their trust to Jesus Christ. Imagine the relief of having all the records of your wrongs removed from that wing of the museum dedicated to you in the Smith Haven Mall. Having all those things taken down from the fronts of all those storefronts and then, and that includes all of your evil thoughts, all your evil deeds, and instead that everyone was covered with all the things that Jesus did right for you. You'll notice there's a quote by Randall Zachman in your notes. It says, Christ takes away all evil that our conscience tells us we have and gives us every good thing that our conscience tells us we lack. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And God makes an amazing promise to everyone who repents, to everyone who believes upon Christ. God says, I will remember your sins no more. I'll shut the alarm off. I will declare you to be no longer guilty before me. The psalmist, no wonder, celebrated in Psalm 32, how blessed is the person whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Covered by what? Not covered by some sort of self-salvation effort on our part. Somehow trying to say, well, if the only way to shut off the alarm is for me to just to try harder. I have to deny myself. I have to, to maybe punish myself. No, no, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Christ did that so that you may be forgiven. My friend, if you have never come to Christ, if you've never found relief for that constantly ringing alarm of your conscience before a holy God, I urge you, come to Christ today. The gospel it is so wonderful what Christ has done for us. It is tremendously life-changing. The third thing I want to point out here, and this has to do specifically with our Seeking Him uh, workbook and the themes of things we're dealing with week by week. Again, one more biblical insight about our conscience is I want us to consider the joys of a clear conscience. A clear conscience. You see, some of us, I think today, may be here and we have some matters from our past where we've done wrong and our conscience keeps reminding us about that and there's still some people that we've offended, there's still some things that we have, uh, actions that we've taken that we really never made right. And therefore it's unresolved, a matter that's unresolved, it's not been made right. And I know I've faced those in my life before. I can think of an incident when I was in college one of my part-time jobs I had was to uh, serve as an assistant for one of the professors there at the time. And so I got paid to run errands for this guy. It was a great job. And one of the errands was making copies for him. And so in order to make the copies, I would have to go to the administration building. I'd have to sign out a particular key that was, that was uh, controlled, the copying machine that goes in a special place in campus. I used the key, and then I'd make all these copies for him, which were... 120 page copies I mean it just took forever and um, and then as I get, as I approached uh, the time when I was going to graduate I knew I wanted some resources that was in the church the, the library on campus to help me with what I was going to do after that and so I would take some of my own copies 
And I must have made scores and scores of copies using this key, and nobody knew. And I went on with my life. And I'll never forget, uh, several, not too long after I graduated from college, I remember reading over Psalm 139 that one time, and I said, it's a, it involves a prayer. It says, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way in me. And what flashed up on the screen in my mind was my conscience working, saying, you know, you've got all those copies you stole. Those are unauthorized. You did not pay for those, and you made it look like this guy was on his uh, administrative thing, this faculty member. So I realized I couldn't live with that, and so I wrote a letter. I acknowledged what I had done. I sent a generous check, far beyond, I'm sure, the value of whatever those copies were. And I said, thank you for your forgiving me. And I took, by the grace of God, whatever necessary steps it took to deal with that offense. Now you say, why are you going to make such a big deal about that? Let me tell you something. Once that got out of my conscience, no longer I had any concerns about it. Whew, I love that. that. That's freeing. And so, taking necessary steps to resolve an offense may be difficult at first, but once you move in that direction, it is a liberating, liberating process. The Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, made this his aim. Look at Acts chapter 24, if you would. Acts 24, verse 16. If you don't have this verse underlined in your Bible, or if it's not highlighted on your, your digital screen, uh, I'd urge you to highlight it and draw attention to it because this is helpful for us. And this is basically what we're challenging us to think about this week. Paul said, I do my best. None of us are perfect in this area, but he says, I do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience, one translation says. The King James says, a conscience void of offense both before God and before men. What's he saying? Is he claiming that he was perfect? No. Is he claiming he's without sin? No. What he's aiming at, he's saying, I am committed to doing whatever I need to do to make things right so that my conscience, which has been made aware that something I did was absolutely wrong, I'm willing to take whatever steps it is to make it right. He tried his best not to leave things unresolved as far as it had to do with him. Now, you can't make other people make things right. You just have to take responsibility for yourself. This is your own conscience you're dealing with. So I'm wondering this morning if some of us perhaps have some things that we keep refusing to deal with. It could be something that was just last week. Or it could be something that goes way, way back in many years ago. I wonder if God, by His Spirit, may be prompting some of us to write a letter to try to address an issue that you have been avoiding with someone who perhaps is not around here or something that from the past that you may have said to somebody. You can't take those words back. But the Lord has laid that upon you in some way you treated someone and you want to resolve that as best you can. Maybe God is prompting you to write that letter. Maybe it's something about someone you need to speak to personally and you need to come and talk to them and ask them for forgiveness. 
And up till now, you've refused to do so. You've just, abo- you've just avoided it, and you've probably been avoiding that person. Maybe there are others among us who, in some ways, have been robbing God of tithes and, ta- tithes and giving over the years because you've been saying, well, I'd like to get to the point where I can give to God and to the kingdom of God someday, but, you know, my credit card is just out of control, and I refuse to live by a budget, and so my life just continually, I never seem to have enough money to do that. Maybe God's trying to encourage you to take steps to deal with that and to finally get serious about what you've been intending to do someday. Maybe there are others of us who keep procrastinating, making restitution, like I had to do, over something that you stole or something that you took that was unauthorized from the school or perhaps from your workplace or from from perhaps some store. Years ago, nobody says anything about it. It's not something that's going to be thrown in your face right now. But your conscience is still bothered by that. I urge you, take care of it. Deal with it. You say, well, it's going to be embarrassing. That's all right. Humble yourself. We've been talking about humility. We've been talking about obedience. There may be some among us who are tempting, and you said, oh, I'm determined, and I'm willing, and oh, God, I've promised to... To, to do more, to break this habit of my pornography issue in my life. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop doing that. But you've never signed up for an essential kind of component that says, as an accountability partner that sends a report to everywhere you go online, whether it's your phone or whether it's your computer, sends it to an accountability partner just showing them where you go online. You're unwilling to do that. And God keeps prompting and saying, your conscience says you need to deal with this. You need to confess you got a problem. You need to acknowledge that there are steps you can take to deal with it. The question is, do we have any offenses toward other people in which we now have a list of those that we've never fully resolved? We've never taken care of them. And what the scriptures are encouraging us to do here is to say, in light of how God has forgiven me, all of those many ways in which I've offended him, should I not therefore try to keep a short account of what I do and my offenses toward other people? And therefore, I will deal with them. As God brings them to my attention, one after the other, I'm just going to deal with them, whatever that involves. And I'm going to leave it him to deal with the consequences of what I say, what I do. Sometimes that means I might have to be in serious trouble. Sometimes you might lose your job. Sometimes it might mean your marriage goes through a very awful, awful period which the truth is finally shared. But in sharing it, you are now walking in light. You're now dealing with the fact that your conscience has been finally acknowledged. And there are many, many other areas we could talk about, but I encourage you to look in your workbooks, for those of you who have one, in your Seeking Him workbook, day four, day five, long lists of all kinds of things that God may be using to help you in lesson number eight. The question is, is your conscience, what's it saying to you? Are you going to shut it off? Are you going to find help for your guilty conscience in Christ? And will you try to keep a and gain a clear conscience as far as you're able? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we are living in a world 
in which there is a great emphasis on ignoring our conscience and trying our best to stop any kind of thought of having guilt or wrong, to escape any kind of responsibility for things we do that clearly offend you and obviously are a problem with other people. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to not in any way try to stifle or turn off our conscience. I pray that you would provide through the gospel of Christ relief for those whose consciences are just on overdrive and only talking about guilt and shame. Lord, I pray that you might so work in the hearts of anyone who's here today who would hate to have that kind of museum display at the mall featuring them and all about them for others to see. Lord, I pray that you would show them the gospel, what a difference it makes to have all those displays reflect Christ and the full forgiveness we have in him. And Father, for those of us whose conscience is not clear, but we know we have some things that we need to deal with, I pray that you would so move in our hearts by your Spirit that we would stop making excuses, that we would stop avoiding the promptings of our conscience, and that we, in humble love for you and in humble love for other people, take care of whatever we need to take care of. Say whatever we need to say, pay whatever we need to pay, put in place whatever safeguards we need to put in place, confess whatever we need to confess, or change our ways in whatever dramatic way we need to do so. But Lord, help us, we pray, to take these steps, not in an attempt to try to gain your love, or gain approval, but to do so, Lord, as those who seek to be people who are humbly obedient and who are following the Holy Spirit's guidance, that we might be a people of integrity, a people who have nothing on our accounts that's un unfinished business. For the glory of your name, we pray these things. Amen.